Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Shepard. I'm joined by Lily Padman. Good day. What a great episode we have for everyone today. We really do. Truly a banger. Yeah. Is that cool to say? Banger? Am I pulling that off? Yeah. Okay, great. Carrie Washington. I love Carrie Washington. She's an award-winning actor, producer, director, and activist. And she has a new memoir out right now that is so good called Thicker Than Water. She drops some bombs in this. She does. And she does it in the most elegant, non-shameful way that I really, really dug. Me too. And she's a party. Also, guys, what could be more exciting? She was an anthropology major. Wow. Oh, what a day to be alive. <laughs> mm, what a banger. Mm, don't oh, say it twice. Try to do, yeah, <laughs> don't okay. double dip. Yeah, I think once is good. Okay, great. <laughs> once per rep. Please enjoy Carrie Washington. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is Mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah. Easy peasy? So easy. The best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. He's an How good your hair right now. We're a funny combo because I always get you're much taller in real yeah, life. Yeah, 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 she yeah. gets you're yeah. so tiny and we're often together. It's so, so cute. It, you start, yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's real. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy to have you. I'm We've been so trying to have you for years. Oh, I've even begged you in person in real life. <laughs> I've been at Independent Spirit yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, like night before, those kind uh-huh. of industry things. Yeah, back when I attended those and I saw you, I would always. <laughs> back when those things happened. Yes, I would always say, you've got to come on. I'm glad you waited until there was a strike so we can hardly Honestly, talk about your career. That's yeah. that's the ideal time for you to arrive. <laughs> you don't have to wear headphones, but if you oh. want. Oh, no, your hair's so 
good. You probably oh, don't, don't want to wear headphones. I don't mind. It'll puff back up. Okay. Maybe okay. I'll put it around. Let's yeah. see. Ugh. Oh, this is kind of like what the challenge we have when we try to do yeah. hats. I like that. I feel like I should start doing you that. Try, my you hair, do it two to do match. The under. That way you guys are both matching. Yeah, like is it so you can stay, also like, put one ear off and pretend you're like oh recording an album. And be like really cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming in on eight or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Wait, I went to the harmony one more time. for me the same way it's working for Carrie. I don't know that it's working so well for her. I yeah, think it's it's, it's I'm, gonna go yeah, I'm using my shoulders to try to hold it up. I might just go the regular. You can way also too. ditch them if you want, but yeah. we we like it because it's very intimate. It's all about your own voice, it's right? In a cave. We're in a cave Ooh. now. I like the candles. You guys have candles going. Oh, I did it for you because. It smelled weird when I walked oh. in, and I was like, well, this isn't appropriate for Carrie. It smell like too the classy. food from Friday? <laughs> no, it smelled kind of smoky. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> oh hello. Yeah. So, I, hello. I've been smoking cigarettes up here on that the weekends. That was my so that's, fear. <laughs> I didn't tell you that? <laughs> that was my guess and fear. After 18 years off cigarettes, I was like, are we sure we want to be off cigarettes? Let's go up to Let's the- Let's try it out. We did allow smoking once. Yeah, it's happened in here. Really? We've allowed, Who? We've Who allowed was it? pot smoking, which is okay. fine. But cigarette smoking, you smell okay. it for a long a, time. A, week. a long time. It's a bummer. Yeah. The weed smoke clears out. And you were fine with the weed smoke in here? Yeah, I don't really care. I okay. think we did maybe crack a window, but it was okay. If he had been firing up lines of cocaine in front of me, I might have <laughs> white knuckled. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, you well, know, you we would've... know our triggers, right? <laughs> yeah. I would have gone to the bathroom. I would have come back. It would have been a disaster. Yeah. You know, I would have been making out probably. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> People drink around me all the time. That yeah, was yeah, the yeah. primary addiction. Mm. But the only one that I wouldn't want to be around is cocaine. Yeah. Because it smells so fun. good. It just smells so <laughs> it good. It smells good? <laughs> no, that's a Jamie Foxx joke. Oh, ding, ding, I get ding. it. Oh. <laughs> he said on that barbershop show, he said, uh, Oh, I don't like cocaine, but I love how it smells. That's it's really <laughs> amazing. Good. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> Is that a Tory Birch bag? Mm-mm. I love these bags, and I forget that, but it's a black designer. Ooh, I really She's like very it. Very fancy. I love fancy. It just has the symbol. I'll get it for you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to know. They come in all colors. Cute. She's amazing. Do I look super <laughs> weird now with the headphones? No. no. Is the hair still okay? You're an 11, so even if we put really like some Stop. food all over your cheeks, Stop. you'd still be like- Wait, I'm so nervous, you guys. No, you're what? not. I am. Tell me why. Because I was talking about this with my husband. I've never said yes to this show in years past because sort of that thing I write about in the book, I always felt like I didn't really have anything to say. Like I, I just felt like I didn't have enough clarity about myself or my journey or my willingness to talk about myself. So uh-huh. like you can't come on this show if you're not going to really talk about yourself. Well, you can. You can, but, but I appreciate it. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree that you have to be a little vulnerable to be Yeah, that's what's so great it. about this show is you guys really go there with people. And I was like, well, I'm not going I mean, there with anybody. We're having a hard time <laughs> believing you listen to the show, but I'm going to say. I do. I love this show. I'm going to say we're very flattered. So I love this show. This show is one of my podcasts that got me through the pandemic. Mm, oh, my Lord. Yeah. This is such wonderful news. Oh well, <laughs> it does make sense because I imagine prior to writing the book, these are all things you're going to maybe die with. 100%. Right? Yeah. I was going to die with secrets I didn't even know I had. And then some of them were things that I just was like, there's no need for me to talk about that. Yes. Now you have to do press for the book. Yeah. And this is a pretty common 
sitch where it's so like weird. you're safe in your house or wherever you write. Yeah. Back of your van down by the river. Yes. In my closet. I actually did a lot oh, of my didn't? writing standing in my closet. But let's be honest, your closet is twelve hundred square feet, it's right? Not. I read that. It's, it's not. <laughs> I kept thinking, like, shouldn't I have a fancier closet while I was in there? It does have a tiny little island in the middle, but like I share a closet with Namdi. There's nowhere to sit in my closet. You can just walk around the little tiny island. That's it. Okay. But I stood in there with not really food, but drinks, like uh-huh. fluids, yeah. not snacks, because then I would just eat and not write. And no distracting. Like, I can't listen to anything that I can sing along to. It has to be things that I don't know the tune right. or the words. That limits us to jazz and classical? Yeah. Or like gray noise. Gray noise. Okay. Oh, like a yeah, nice... Something that drowns out my noisy kids. But from the closet to now out on shows, yeah. having to talk about it's an entirely different thing, isn't it? It is. How's that been yeah. going? Because you've been doing it now. I have been doing it. Does it feel like it cheapens it when they reduce it to some of the oh. more exciting or salacious parts and they just yeah. hit you right away and you don't have the ramp up and you don't have the context? I feel like I've been really lucky, present company included, to be talking about the book with people that are more thoughtful. So it hasn't felt too reductive. You haven't done TMZ yet. Not yet. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's, that's coming up. This afternoon. Oh, this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> so I think it's been okay. It's been okay. I actually feel more and more free. Every interview Good. that I do, I feel a little bit more liberated, a little bit more Good. myself, comfortable. comfortable. Yeah. Well, I think a little bit of reservation about talking about what you've written is a common pattern. And then what also is an incredibly common pattern is you do it and then whatever shadow you had in your head saying, they're going to say this about me, they're going to say this. When you realize that it's just recognition. Yeah, of the truth. The people who, you know, they don't want to know about this, they're not stumbling across it, right? That's right. Like, no one's at a fucking biker bar right now going, I just found out Olivia Pope's (laughs) pro-choice. That's right. right. Feeling betrayed. That's not happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. (laughs) You in particular have been so vulnerable and brave on this show that it's kind of the culture. It would be disrespectful to come in here and not be like, whatever you guys want to talk about, it's like I'm when you try to go there. Yeah, it's like the proverbial hut where they offer you the goat balls. <laughs> yes, and they exactly. eat them, and it's a great like, honor. Okay. <laughs> oh, shit, if everybody I'm, else is oh, eating God. goat balls, yes, I like, guess I have to eat goat balls. Here we are. <laughs> Culturally, I have to meet them. Upsetting analogy. Oh, what did you say? It's stunning. <laughs> uh, upsetting. Oh, upsetting. Yeah. Stunning and upsetting. upsetting. It'd be great though if you just go, "Wow, what a stunning analogy." <laughs> so complimentary. <laughs> well, you're probably going to ask this, so I'm jumping the ship. If you were going to die with a bunch of secrets, what changed that made you feel like, no, I need to write it? I feel like in some ways the universe tricked me into <laughs> writing this book because a lot of what I write about in the book is this kind of revelatory information that my parents dropped on me a few years ago, shared with me is probably the kinder way to say it. Right after that, actually, but I just was totally compartmentalizing and like, I'm not going to deal with that information. I sold this other book idea. And that book idea was like a very pop culture here are the 10 things I learned from Livia Pope. And very uh-huh. like sticky, cute, culturally relevant, easier, not so searching. Episode and of Sex digging. in the City. Yes. I sold that book. And then every time I would sit down to write it, this other new information was with me and I was grappling with it. I just felt like I couldn't write an honest book about my experience and the things that I knew and felt without dealing with this other thing. My whole 
being was sort of flipped inside out by this news that I, I just felt like I couldn't write that other book. Yeah. And so I tried to give the publisher all their money back and was like, I'm not going to write a book. I really can't write a book right now. And they were really patient with me uh-huh. and just kept saying, well, you know, maybe just try writing something just for yourself. So I don't mean that they tricked me, but it did feel like I was set up where I was supposed to write something yeah. and I needed to deliver something. And I think I started writing it to help me make sense of my life with this new information and maybe writing it a little bit for me and for my kids. Can you tell us the new information? Yeah. But if you haven't read the book, you should stop listening now. Spoiler alert. Oh, you think it unravels if we know this? No, but if you don't want to know, I think the book is still readable. Okay, so this is great. So for the next, we're going to put 30s. Well, no, then we're going to talk about it. Well, yeah, tell me. I think it will make people want to read it more, to be honest, to get okay. more detail and more. Yeah. My parents sat me down a few years ago and told me that my dad is not my biological father, that I was born from a sperm donor. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Can I be dead honest with you? Because I yeah. refuse to lie to you. Yeah. The book is seven hours and 48 minutes. Yeah. And I'm six hours through. Oh, no. <laughs> so I didn't oh, know that. Oh, no. No, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, also, this is very relevant to a lot of stuff we talk about on here. We had a show called Race to 35 where I froze my eggs. Uh We talked to a lot of people in this situation. Whoa. Now, it's so common. Our kids, half of their friends are sperm donor, egg donor, surrogate, adopted. Yes. AI even. Some have some fully functional (laughs) robots. Some are robots robots in the class. (laughs) But my parents were like... Renegades. You know, this was 76. There were no sperm banks. They had tried and tried and tried. Usually they thought it was my mom's issue. And then when my dad became part of the process, they said, okay, now that we've seen what's happening, you have two choices. You can either adopt or do this new thing that's very experimental and kind of secretive. But we'll try it if you're interested. And so my parents... Took a leap. They got to screen the app? No, there was nothing could to have been screen. Anything. There oh were no God. applications. There was no nothing. They, do they at least know the ethnicity? They could they say, we said, want a well, black What my mother parent. said was, we just want him to be black and we okay. want him to be healthy. Okay, great. great. That was it. But also, what did they know about healthy? There was no DNA testing. They should have thrown Parallel there. Parker in there. Like, good <laughs> Parallel Parker, healthy. Ivy League education, something. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, something now, way more practical. Now you can, can do all of that. Now you can, but back crazy. then. But you lived in Brooklyn. Parallel Bronx, parking. Bronx. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bronx. Yeah. Parallel parking was tantamount to <laughs> breathing oxygen. I mean, uh, this true. would have been a skill that it's could true. have saved and years. And I'm not great at it. Either so am I. Yeah, that's where they. That was the big mistake. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so my parents told me this thing. It was a family secret that completely changed my sense of who I was and who they were to me. And so a lot of me writing the book was about me trying to make sense of that. And answered. This nagging question you had had since you were very young, which is you felt like there was some distance, right? Some weird emotional distance between my parents and I. Yeah. What I love about the book, there's so many great things, but... I love learning the things that you and I had in common. It's like so what? Fun. Tell me, tell well, me. First of all, you're the first guest we've had that was an anthropology major who oh. wasn't an a- active anthropologist. Oh, wow. Like my friend Jason Delion, who now teaches at UCLA in yes. the archaeology department, he's the only other. Maybe we had. We might have, but they like it incorporated. But no, into we're yeah. the only two actors. Yes. 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 How thrilling. It's so relevant, right? Don't you find it so relevant in That's the work? What, what I tell people in interviews. <laughs> <laughs> What's your pitch? Do you believe it or not? I do. I think it's an easy intellectual architecture to lay out, which is like you learn to be culturally relative. 
Mm. So in cultural relativism, you're not judging the people you're saying. That's you're right. not interested in drawing a verdict. You That's know, right. is infanticide evil in Inuits? Well, let's find out why it even happens. If we're there just to say it's bad, then we're not going to learn anything. That's right. And then, of course, you can apply that immediately to whoever you're playing, especially if you're playing a bad 100%. person, right? You cannot judge your characters. Now, have I ever been about to audition and thought like, huh, no, I'm going to treat this just like the uh, <laughs> the Maasai or the uh, Kalahari bush people or the Yanomama. Oh, but yeah. I do I think it gave me- so long, so it, fun. <laughs> it gave me a worldview that I did yeah. embrace, or maybe I was looking for a major that would let me embrace it. Yeah. But what drew you? I think very similar. I am so fascinated by how people become who they are, why they are who they are, and how they express who they are in language, dance, music, food, behavior. So all of that is this combination of psychology, sociology, and anthropology. Just what makes a person a person and how do they express that personhood? Yeah, I think mine was like, just growing up, I had a sense of like, I don't know if I dig this society or if I agree with it. Yeah. Like I don't the know. rules of it. Yes. Mean. I don't yeah. know. Like all these rules everyone's agreed to. Some of them don't feel right to me oh, intuitively. Wow. There's got to be different ways. And I think wow. I really wanted to know what the different ways were because I don't think I really was super excited to just embrace the thing I was being given. Oh, that's funny. Similarly, I think I was from a very young age, as I write about, really confronted with the idea that I was living in one culture in the Bronx and going to school in this other culture on the Upper East Side of Manhattan at Spence. And they felt like entirely different universes that were just 45 minute commute from each other, but they were entirely different galaxies of behavior and identity. Yeah. So I was trying to make sense of that. Well, and you would think you had a bit of a intermediary step, which was first you're just in your PS71 or whatever yes, it was, right? Yes, 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 PS182. 182, okay, yeah. and then you get moved. Does it become And PS? then I go to PS71. You're so oh, good, wow. Good okay, so yes, they are going to combine schools to offer some gifted and talented programs. They wanted to move the gifted and talented program out of the black neighborhood and put it closer to where the white kids live. So the white, so the kids, white kids didn't have to yeah. bus in. Yeah. You at what, third, fourth grade, mm -hmm. you now move to a predominantly Italian school. Yes. So it was the first one. Yes, And that's you probably right. thought you were at Apex Otherness. I was like, whoa, <laughs> all these white kids, very different culturally. All of us had grandparents who came in to Ellis Island, Statue of Liberty, the whole thing, but they spoke a different language. Yeah, they yeah. were so different. At that school, they celebrated Columbus Day. That was the biggest holiday sure. of the year. <laughs> and so it was very, very different, but it was entirely unlike the next level of different at Spence, which was like helipads in your Hamptons home. Well, this is great because it's very <laughs> rare that someone gets to experience the many different things. You are in a weird position where you could kind of evaluate, because to me, the socioeconomic bond is pretty it's strong. It's huge. So I guess I'm curious, the culture shock you got from being in an Italian place versus being in a wealthy place, which do you think was more stark. Spence, the socioeconomic difference, you know, at PS71, we were all still middle class, working middle class, upper middle class, but we were all in that zone. Yeah. Spence, when I set foot on that land, there was a sense of betrayal. Like there was a world that was being kept 
from me and people who looked like me. Uh-huh. We didn't know that you could live this way. Well, you would eat with silverware yes. in China. Yeah, in we the didn't have cafeteria. sports in my school. We oh. had china and silverware and oh. tablecloths. No tablecloths, okay. unless there were special events. Okay. The mother-daughter tea after school, they pulled out the tablecloths. This is oh like Hogwarts, God. right? Monica, are you going to Hogwarts <laughs> with the real cutlery <laughs> and the wish. real china? Yeah. <laughs> but I have a weird question I just thought of. Did you feel guilt that you were, quote, picked to be in this world that no other black people were, I assume. There were a few of us, okay, but not from my neighborhood. I didn't grapple as much with survivor's guilt in the beginning. I think that happened later, like in college, when I did realize that this had sort of set me on a different trajectory. Well, you're probably right. bumping into kids you had sleepovers with and you're seeing how yes. their lives... But I did feel pressure to be one of the few chosen to go off and make something better of your life, elevate your existence. I definitely felt pressure. Like I knew that they were giving me financial aid and a scholarship and my parents were working extra hard to provide this opportunity for me. And so I didn't want to screw it up. All these people were investing right. in me and I didn't want to waste that. I didn't want to let people down. Yeah. And that's where, yes, the white kids are free to fail out. Like yeah. there's so many of these rich kids, they <laughs> go there and they fuck up the whole time. They and get kicked they, out, they, they go, go to another, another school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, you gotta be top you notch. Have to, it's that twice as good thing. You have yeah. to work yeah. twice as hard the Chris to get Rock. half as much. Yeah, that's right. The dentist. The, 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 <laughs> right. the Chris Dentist. dentist thing. That's very real. You, yeah, you yeah. really feel that. Uh, average dentist. Yeah. Living next door to Mary J. Blige. And <laughs> One of the greatest Rock. R&B singers of all time <laughs> and the greatest comedian of all time. So my good friend, Joy Bryant, is also yes, from the Yes, she is. I love And she Joy. too went to a boarding yes, school. Yes, she did. We had very parallel experiences. She just was a supermodel, so she had a different <laughs> path in that way. <laughs> she was She's taller than you. Stunning and yeah. gorgeous. But I'm a huge Joy fan. I started watching Parenthood because of Joy. Sure. Because As I love Joy. Yeah. And then was like, this is an amazing show. Actually, I'll tell you something, buddy. When I met my now husband, I was kind of out of an engagement. And so I was in a stage of not knowing if I believed in marriage. I didn't know if I wanted to have kids. I was kind of trying to redefine the rules for myself. And when we started dating, he was like, you know, how do you feel about those things? And I was like, I really don't know if that path is my path. And yeah. later on in the date, he was like, all right, well, what are some of your favorite shows? And I was like, say yes to the dress, parenthood, <laughs> <laughs> my fair wedding. And he was like, I feel like you're still into the yeah. parent and kids oh, yeah, and so marriage funny. thing. I was like, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <That> <laughs> we used to watch really that show together. You did? Yeah, yeah. Aww. That was like one of our first shows. I didn't know this until researching you that your husband played football at Berkeley. Yeah. yeah then was a Raider. Goes down as one of the greatest Raiders one of all the time. greatest Raiders of all time. Oh my God, time. cool. I know. So cool. That's awesome. I really like this for you. I've never, <laughs> met, I've never met him. He's but also I'm the like, nicest. You would adore him. And he's an actor. He's an incredible actor yeah. and producer. When he made his first film that he produced, he got nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. And I was like, do I have to like go pick up figure skating so I can be on the cover of Sports <laughs> right. Illustrated? Like this is, how yes. do we like even this out? Stepping yeah. on your shoes. Yes, toes. but I love it. That's so I love cute. it. <laughs> Some people just can do everything. It's annoying. He's one of those people. He's like, oh, Paul Robeson. Who's Paul Robeson? Oh, you have to go look him up. He's a really important civil rights leader who was a football player and an opera singer. Oh. Oh, no like kidding. A true Renaissance man. Oh. Yeah, truly. Or truly like Terry Crews. 
Terry Crews so radical. Like acting, painting, cool. yeah. football, yeah. all of it. Yeah. It's Incredible crazy. artist. How did you guys meet, if you don't mind my asking? No, we met backstage at a play I was doing on Broadway. He's a big theater guy. What a unicorn this I guy know. is. I know. So special. And he came and he was represented as an athlete at the same agency that I've been at as an actor. He's at CAA. He's still at CAA, but then, you know, in their sports department. And so I got an email saying, like, one of our really important football players is coming to the show. Will you meet him afterward? Four-time Pro Bowler. And I was like, I guess so. You're like, you I know. didn't have sports at my school. Yeah, so we, I didn't, don't we didn't care. have football in New York City also. And I had all these stereotypes about what a football player would be. So I was like, oh, great. And I said to one of the other actors in the show, like, I got to go talk to this guy. Will you save this me in like 10? Yeah, yeah, will you save me in 10 minutes? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to have anything to talk to him about. <laughs> and I come downstairs in the theater and he is not at all what I was picturing in my head. Shame on me for all nice my stereotypes. Style. Yeah, he looked like we James Baldwin, it. like pea coat and a beanie. Like, looked like he just got off a plane from Paris. Sure. Oh my God. Had like poetry in his pocket vibes. Oh. And I was <laughs> flummoxed. In fact, when my friend came downstairs, my friend was David Allen Greer, actually. Oh, dang. And what's crazy is that then... Namdi and Dag wound up doing a play on Broadway years later together. Oh, no so, kidding. So sweet. But so Dag was there. Dag came to save me and I was like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm totally good. Fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, fine. <laughs> Make yourself scarce. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. So mom and dad are pretty opposite, right? Mom is, we'll say type A. She's a professor and overachiever. She's very elegant and composed and super smart. And dad's a good time Charlie. He 100%. fucking charismatic, great you dresser. And he. <laughs> we should go That's to the bar the together. Yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> you wouldn't leave. <laughs> we were actually doing an interview together for the book. And somebody said to my parents, like, what's your advice if a family is trying to work through family secrets? And, you know, what would you say? And my mom was like, you know, I would say it's really important to talk to somebody, whether it's a pastor or a therapist or a good friend to talk to somebody you trust. And therapy is really important. My dad was like, I disagree. So, oh, he was like, right, here we go. the best therapists are bartenders. Uh, <laughs> because I love that. They hear your stories, but you don't ever have to see them again if you don't want to. And I was like, but dad, where's the healing in that, right? Like sure. the family healing, where's the reward? And he was like, I'll tell you the reward when the bartender's like, next round on me. <laughs> like we you hit him like, with such a breakthrough. Yep. Oh my God. It's kind of true. Oh. It's great. And yeah. that's, I think a lot of what for me has been kind of the result of this book and this process really with my family of this secret being told and us working through it together and going to family therapy is, I think that would have in the past devastated me. I would have been like embarrassed and ashamed and would have been angry. And now I just see the magic in who he is. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to change him. I just want to love him. Well, look, you know what's so funny is those kind of things, yes, all of our parents are extensions of our own identity and ego. And when they visit sad, it's always nerve wracking, uh -huh. but it's just universal and it's kind of sweet. But what's funny is you could brussel up against that he's being uncouth or lowbrow or something. What you're aspiring to in the book is knowing yourself is to be authentic to yourself is to be fully integrated with who That's you are right and this motherfucker is just doing it right yeah, he is who he is in some ways i had to deal with the betrayal of my mother differently than my father because in my opinion my mom actually kept a secret from me but my dad truly bought into this alternate reality that i was his and he was mine and there was no secret for him I didn't really understand denial till being in this process with him, but it's so beautiful. It was just like that thing got locked 
in a section, I don't know, out of his brain, out in the world. And there was no secret to keep from me because it just didn't happen. He just placed that somewhere. Yeah. When I sat with my parents and I said, I just spoke to the doctor. He said that there's a 0.000001% chance that we are biologically related. He's like... There's a chance. Right. Like that's oh his last one million yes, full. Yes, that is his. That is truth. You know, but I would imagine if I were him, I see the motivation, which is I meet you, I fall in love with you, I love caring for you and being in your life, and I can feel how much you love me. And the scariest thing in the world would be that you would find out I'm not your real dad, and you wouldn't love me as much as you do. That's a powerful motivation. I know that their choice, particularly because it was 77, it wasn't the world we live in today where everybody's freezing eggs and going through catalogs of donor sperm. They were renegades. They were so courageous and so innovative and took this risk. And I know that their decision to not tell me was not meant to hurt me. It was to try to protect me. They made a call and it was the wrong one, maybe. Well, or maybe was, it was the wrong I mean, one. I don't know. it was what it was. You know, back then the doctor would say, like, you have this sperm and then go home and have sex, and then there's plausible deniability, and nobody thought there would ever be uh, DNA tests. So for him, he really was like, that kid is mine. Yeah, okay, that lovely. Mine. Yeah. yeah. So everyone's trying Everybody's to foster doing their this best. idea. Yeah. And I think for her, it, re- it was like, why tell her? Why stress her out? And then she says, then when I was in my 20s, she was going to tell me, but I had this crazy eating disorder. And she was like, I'm not going to tell her now. She's crazy enough. There was never a right time to tell me. It's really complicated. Look, you are who you are and we love who you are and you like who you are and your children love who you are. very kind. I can relate. I wouldn't want to erase any of my trauma. No, it's the journey. But secrets are palpable. You feel them. We're as sick as our secrets. Yeah. You feel them even if you don't know what they are. There's that sense of not feeling safe, feeling unmoored. I knew that I wasn't getting the real. I didn't trust the environment that I was raised in. And I'm sure had a very hard time, probably still have a hard time trusting anyone. Yeah, but the gift of them being forced really into telling me is that it has, I think, given me back a sense of trusting myself. I feel like in these years, I've been able to mend that pathway with my own intuition to say like, I fucking knew. I was right. I'm not crazy. It can reconfirm the trust with yourself, which is great. Huge. And that is to me the most important one. That's the huge gift of what they've given me is this ability to trust myself, to know the truth of myself. How did it come to be that they were forced to tell you? I am friends with Skip Gates, the Harvard professor who once had beers with Obama at the White House. So he has this show. He does the heredity thing, right? Yes, he has this show on PBS called Finding Your Roots. And when Scandal was ending, he was like, I know you haven't had time to do the show, but now you're going to have some time. Can we get you on the show? And I was like, yes. Like my mom loves this stuff. She's done tons of research on her side of the family. And we really don't know a lot about my dad's side. Let's do it. And if I can add, your mother's parents are from Jamaica. Yes. So that's always going to be a confusing lineage to sort out because of the history of Jamaica. And then your father's family is all from these islands in South Carolina. Yep. Yep. But my mom, she's really done a ton of work on her lineage, like back to Irish and Scottish immigrants in Jamaica who worked on plantations. But my dad's side, we didn't know a lot. And so I was really thrilled and I thought they would be really thrilled. And they were at first because they thought it was all like public records and census research. And then I was like, now if you can just spit into these tubes also for the show. And my dad started having panic attacks. Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard. The big lie he's been trying to keep forever. But again, it wasn't like when my mom first said, do you think you're nervous because 
of what she might find out genetically, his response was, what are you talking about? Like his body knew, but his brain That's right. did not. His Whoa. brain was not ready. The body his brain was keeping had to the score. Yes, his brain had to catch up. Wow. Yeah. I talk pretty openly about my childhood and it involves my mother. And I've had my mother on this show. Yeah, I know. And she <laughs> has been incredibly generous in saying like, your story's your story. You're entitled to tell your story. I'm a part of it. And then I have my story and you're a part of mine. Was it hard for you to write the book? By the way, you celebrate them like crazy, but you're also being very honest about your childhood in that house. I think this is the thing that is most moving for me is that in the past, when I have said no to coming on a show like this, I think it's been very connected to the idea that I've never really felt like the lead character in the story of my life. I have devoted my life to being these other characters because their stories were so clear, but I never really felt secure in the value of my life as being an important story of its own. Uh -huh. So a show where I talk about myself is like, why waste everybody's time? And when I got this information, it felt like my first call to adventure. It mm. felt like for the first time I was the protagonist in the story. And I realized that I had up until five or six years ago been the supporting character in the story that my parents were telling, but not the lead character in my life. Them giving me this information made me feel like maybe I can center myself and figure out what my story is. That's what writing the book was. What is my story? Who am I? And how did I get here? And what does it all mean? And they have very elegantly and graciously become supporting characters in my story. Mm, and that is lovely. It's also for me as a mother. I was just going to say such you think a profound example because yeah. I was like, oh, this is the job of parenting. Actually, yes. it's not about us. And it really has allowed me to say, I get to be the lead character in my story of my life. And I'm grateful that I'm getting to do that at this age. But I have to remember that with my kids, I am not the lead character of their story. I'm here to support their story. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Men's Warehouse. When you wear a tailored men's warehouse outfit, it makes you feel confident, like you can do anything. Whether it's a snappy suit that makes you want to dance at a wedding like no one is watching, or a smart casual outfit that gives you the confidence to nail a job interview. Yep, you should give Men's Warehouse a shot, and here's why. Men's Warehouse is the only nationwide men's clothing store that has a tailor in every store to fit your suit, shirt, jeans, etc. to your bod. Men's Warehouse features clothes from the best brands in the fashion world like Vera Wang, Kenneth Cole, and Calvin Klein. Men's Warehouse isn't just suits, they have jeans, t-shirts, shoes, hats, and even underwear. The tailoring is game-changing. It really makes a huge difference in people's outfits if it's tailored to your body. You could have a billion dollar suit and if it doesn't fit it looks terrible yeah agreed yeah it's key men's warehouse is everywhere with 600 plus locations nationwide so if you need one and you will there's one near you feel like you can do anything in an outfit from men's warehouse visit your men's warehouse store or click or tap to shop online we are supported by wayfair Home should be your happy place a space where you can relax and just enjoy yourself whatever that looks like for you 
Whether you want the ultimate man cave, a cozy Victorian-inspired nook for reading, an area for family movie night filled with all things retro or something else. And if you need help creating that space, I recommend Wayfair. It's the place to shop for everything home, from sofas to dining tables, beds, rugs, wall art, and more. I bought a KitchenAid... Mixer? Mixer on Wayfair. You can really get anything on there. And I'm helping a friend redo his living room. And we just. You're just on Wayfair nonstop. Yep. Yeah. It's one-stop shop. It is. They have fast free shipping. They have everything you need for your home inside and out. They have a huge selection of home goods and a variety of styles. Whatever you're into, Wayfair is the go-to destination to help bring your vision to life. Every style is welcome in the Waberhood. Visit Wayfair.com or get the Wayfair mobile app. That's W-A-Y-F-A-I-R.com. Wayfair. Every style, every home. I would imagine the kids also are a motivator in yes. telling your story because yes. you are you need to inform them how you got to where you're at, where you had them. Right. I don't want them to feel unmoored in their origin story. Right. Like I want them to feel secure about the magic of where they come from so that they can leap off into their own adventure. Yes. And there were many things over the years that were being kept from you, that your mother had been married before your father, that she had had a stillborn. Mm-hmm. There were things that were leaking. Your father was a part of a 10-year-long investigation mm-hmm, with, with the, the IRS mm-hmm. and ultimately had to go to court and admitted some guilt and you wrote a letter and they asked you to do that. So things were trickling. And the sexual <laughs> abuse that I was keeping from them, right? There were all of these secrets that we were keeping from each other. Yes, all in theory to protect, to protect one another. Other. I know. To love each other. That's oh. what's sad is like none of it is nefarious. The intention ill-advised, but the intention is like protecting everyone. But it does not protect does you. It. And in fact, the more flawed you are, the more helpful it is to me because I feel flawed and That's I'm messing right. up all the it gives time. gives me permission to be human. Yes, to fuck up. I think there's this false idea in culture that you can either be in relationship or you can be in truth. It's weird. It's right. very weird that if you tell the truth, it will cost you the closeness of the relationship. As opposed to my experience in this journey with my parents is that in truth, we're so much closer than we've ever been before. Right. We know ourselves better. We know each other better. I feel so much more in love with my parents than I did before this information right. came along. Well, they're three-dimensional. They've yeah. had struggles yeah. and they've had vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and that's attractive and yeah. it makes you love and want to comfort. And it means I can be myself because right. they're being themselves. Yeah, everyone can chill and be themselves. <laughs> Take off the mask. But this I is bet wh- she was relieved ultimately that she had to come forward with this. Think how much lighter their lives yeah. are. I see it in her every day. Because also I've given them this list of like, the book is coming out. So if there are people you need to tell before yeah. it comes out, like now is the time. I mean, she has four sisters. She just told them this past May. They didn't confide in anybody but Not each other? Not a soul. It's not like they didn't even talk about it amongst themselves. That's right. Because right. I think, again, he had this other belief. There was nothing to talk about. I mean, what a phenomenal secret keeper that she just walked around for over 40 years with not a soul, not a therapist, not a sponsor, not a best friend. Yeah. Yeah. I won't make you get into it. People should read the book, but some sexual abuse. Misconduct. It's a peer and it's a kid or it's a teen. And there was all these sleepovers that you guys always had in the neighborhood. And I don't know which we could point to, but I think 
what's important is that through some accumulation of aces, <laughs> yeah, your self-image starts getting a little warped and you start getting a bit controlling. When does that start? I do think it's related to the abuse. I don't think I draw that line directly in the book, but I do think because this stuff was happening when I was sleeping and I felt very out of control of it, I think there developed early on this sense that I needed to be in control of my body in order to feel safe. Right. Also, my very biology, this is obviously just in looking back, I didn't know at the time, but my biology was a threat to my parents, right? The truth of my body mm. and how it came to be here was a fact that my parents didn't want to deal with. Can I also just add? Yes. Because you know you're a parent. The two of us are sitting around waiting till our own shittiness arises in the kids. Yes. Now you throw in a third party that we've <laughs> never met and you're going to be a little on the lookout for, oh, you know. What is it? Yeah, yeah, they had no idea. You're going to be Like, examining. I talk about my dad not being in the delivery room when I was born, because I was born on the night that the last episode of Roots aired. Can't miss it. And he oh can't miss it. He's going to bring the nurses the whole with nursing him. staff. <laughs> my mom is in the delivery room alone oh with the doctor. Oh, my God. And I also think that maybe my dad couldn't be in there because what if the kid comes out white? What if right. the kid Chinese. comes out? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Nobody knew, we right? Don't know. I think about my mother carrying that anxiety for nine months of like, I don't know half of what's in here, oh yeah. but I know I really am going to love it, whatever it is that comes right. out. I had a fraught relationship with my biology and body from the very beginning. And my way through that was to say, I'm going to use these tools of food and exercise to escape my body, to not be present, to try to numb myself. And then because I have to be perfect in order to be loved, I'm going to then try to lock down on control and not eat and overexercise. It just was like this crazy cycle of abuse. And we should add, because I think it's an important foundational element, is that your parents also fought pretty horrendously while you were little and they thought you were asleep and you weren't and you started having a lot of anxiety at night yeah. even from then. And your That's conclusion right. was, I need to be extra perfect for them to save this whole thing. Because I knew that I was very wanted. I knew that they had tried for five years to have me. I didn't know how they finally unlocked the miracle of me being here, but I knew that I was wanted, which is also really beautiful, right? Like it's such a gift for a child to come into the world knowing that they were wanted and loved, but it was this extra added layer of pressure as well. And you could get the sense that they're only together for you, so you better make it worth it. That's not a hard math to come to even when you're little. Yeah. Okay, so perfection is the goal now. Yes. Secret rebellion followed by perfection. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's another part I really love and related to. <laughs> it's a dance. It's such it's a brilliant dance. It fucks <laughs> you, you up for like life. You feel like you're getting away with it, but you're getting away with screwing yourself up. <laughs> like, well, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You end up paying the price. But the muscle memory of even if like Kristen leaves for two days, my immediate thought is like, what is the most amount of trouble I can get in without getting in trouble? <laughs> like, right. it's just That's right. It's without anybody like, knowing. It's just the impulse. Mm -hmm. I don't act on it. But first thought is, oh, great. Mom's gone. I'm living up to this standard for her now. I can let it loose. Yeah. We also have some drinking and some weed use. Yes. And some sexual <laughs> and what activity. Age are we? This is the thing I'm nervous about my bonus child reading because she's 17 and I was <laughs> like wow, let's not 15. Because it's New York City. So we're going out to clubs till three, four in the morning. On yeah. Monday night. On Monday night. My favorite club, Soul Kitchen. <laughs> oh, wow. So good. Kid Capri was the DJ. Oh, and did you have to use a fake ID or was it We had some fake IDs, but we were just real cute. You knew yeah. people. We yeah. were real cute. We knew Good people. Sandra, yeah. Fucking Drew Barrymore was at Studio 54. I 
know, for Christ's sake. It's New York. She was famous. And this is in the yeah, exactly. 80s and yeah. early 90s. 89, 90. Oh, man. What a time And did alive. your parents know you were sneaking out? No. And in fact, this is the part of the book that troubles my mother the most. Uh, <laughs> this is the part that hurt her feelings the most, which was interesting, right? Because a lot of what I'm writing about is the secrets and betrayal. <laughs> yeah. And she read it and was like, I was really disappointed to read about all the high school partying stuff. Oh, and I was like, wow. that makes sense. I yeah. get that. Because on the outside, I was the shining child. I was her perfect daughter. I was getting good grades and I was a student leader and I was leading the clubs, the school clubs, not the nightclubs. Right. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. But was her sadness over the fact that she doesn't think you trusted her to know that about you and still accept you? I think that it was happening and that I lied to her about it. Okay. So just straight up resentment over the lie. I think Classic textbook. Well, yeah, because no parents like, I wish you had trusted me to tell me you were going out to a club because they would have just said, no, you can't go to that club. Well, I would, right? I'm pretty you open would. and I'm understanding and I expect that they'll do drugs and I expect that they'll have sex. So I feel like I've really laid down the red carpet for yeah. them to be honest with me and about it. And to be it. imperfect. It's not like I'd be mad at them. I'd just be hurt. Like, oh, I thought yeah. I earned that. Let's say they do Molly, okay? And yeah. they're 14. Um, I know. That's a, a bad... You went right to the I jugular did. on this one. I right? did. Cause they're it's... shooting dope at 13. <laughs> what are you going to do? No, I'm saying like they do this at a friend's house and they come to you and they say, Dad, hey, I did Molly last night because yeah. they're so comfortable and they might do this. I what think do you it's do? really important to first say, I'm so grateful that you told me the truth. Yep. Like when I think about the family that I came from and the double task of breaking the rules and then having to be perfect, yeah. the telling the truth, I mean, I say it all the time now as a parent, the most important thing is the truth. I don't love that thing you did. And we'll talk about that. But the most important thing is that you told me the truth about it. Because yeah. then I can be in it with you and we can deal with it together. Yeah. I don't want you out there navigating stuff alone. By yourself. Yeah, yeah When you don't sure. have to and you're not ready. But would you say like, do you have more? I know. <laughs> oh. Where'd you get it? How much was it? <laughs> was, was it, it good? Was it clean? Oh. Was it were you, good? Yeah, were you yeah. eating air sandwich all night? Or what time did you fall asleep? Do you need a Zanny to go down? <laughs> I mean, it's a tricky situation, I think, because you want them to be honest. But also, are you just going to say, like, I guess it's fine that you're doing that, even though no. you know they're going to no, do it? No, no, no. So let's just say that happened. I would say I'm really grateful you told me. Did you like it? Was it fun? I would start there. Would like, you? Let's, yeah, wow. yeah. Was it fun? Oh, what did you guys do? Do you blah, blah, blah? Great. I'd say, look, you know, having had a lot of experience with that drug, it's pretty addictive. If I was picking for you, I'd much rather see you guys do mushrooms wow. or smoke pot. But this one is pretty addictive. It turns to meth once it's in your body. We know meth, I mean, right? You I'm wouldn't have smoked meth. I'm so much right, right? now. I know. So we just got to keep our eye on this one. Yeah. It's also going to lower your serotonin a shitload. On Tuesday, you're going to be suicidal. That's coming. But I'm glad we talked because I want you to know it's coming. But we'll and get through that. you can come that. to me when you're really depressed. Yes. Not when. You're going to be depressed gonna be, on yeah. Tuesday. I don't have quite your extensive history. So I wouldn't have that much wisdom to offer, which in the moment I'm feeling a little jealous of. Well, look, I think we could be of service to one another. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I can talk to your kids a lot about sugar. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even now I say to my kids, you know, we come from a long line of users. And so in our family, when people drink, sometimes they lose their jobs, they lose their lives, they lose their marriages. So it's a different relationship. For so that's sure. part of why I talk about why I don't drink. I've never really struggled with alcohol, but I have a really addictive personality and I come from a long line of addicts and alcohol has really destroyed a lot of things about our family from your 
aunts and uncles, to your grandparents, your great grandparents. So I try to be really upfront about that, that this thing is like this in, is in you. Yeah. Yeah. I think the bottom line for me is like I would parallel it with trying to control whether your partner cheats on you or not. It's not up to you. They're going to do that or they're not. Right. Me behaving jealously in anticipation of that, if anything, help. will push it in <laughs> yes, that direction. Right. To me, I work backwards from, well, that's not an option. That's on them whether they're going to do that or not. I don't have the illusion that I can control whether or not my kids experiment with drugs at whatever age they do it. I'm not in control of that unless I keep them within my eyesight at yeah. all time, which yeah. I'm not going to do. Which then they will find a way to do it for right. sure. Even right. worse, right. everyone yeah. I know that was raised that way really got fucked up from it. For me, I'd much rather go like, A, they know their fucking genetics. We're like seventh generation yeah, hardcore drug. Deep. It's for real in yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I would just go like, I know you're smart enough to evaluate that you probably have a predisposition to it. So you're probably gonna have to watch it more than other people. Already these two kids that I have, I trust that they can do that. Yeah. They're pretty honest with themselves and they're pretty on. What? One of the funniest things that has ever happened, Lincoln was like two or three. And Dax was going to an AA meeting and he was like, I'm going, you know, I'm going to my meeting. And Lincoln was like, I want to go. And he said, don't worry, you will. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was very similar. She goes, why do you have to go? And I go, because I'm an alcoholic and I have to go there or I will drink and it's not good when I drink. And she goes. I want to be an alcoholic. Because you want to call me. And I go, you might be. You probably, mm, am. Yeah. probably will be. <laughs> yeah. My father was in recovery and he watched me do the whole thing. And I think he did it perfectly, which is like, this kid knows AA. I've taken him. Mm. He knows what the solution is. That's when right. he's ready it's for it, he it's knows he can there. come to me when it's yeah. time. He played it that way and it was kind of brilliant of him. But who knows? I mean, 180 as soon as this real situation happens. I'm <laughs> yeah. not naive enough we don't to know. think. We I, don't yeah. know. Yeah. But I do think the common thread is to be able to be in truth with your family That's, and yourself. If you can't tell yourself the truth about what's happening in your life and you can't tell at least one other person, I'm in trouble, I need help, then you're screwed. Yeah. Can I ask who knew about the molesting? Did anyone ever? Did you have any boyfriends you told this to? Yeah. Best friends. friends? You friends did. Okay. When I got older. That's good. Yeah. And therapists. For me, I remember the first time I said it to somebody and I was sitting on the hood of my car in a Kmart parking lot. Really? Yeah. And she had just told me she had been raped and similar to what you said about this room, which is like, oh my God, if I don't tell her this, right. like I owe her this right. and I've right, not told right, anyone right. this. Right. And I remember when I told her and she didn't look at me and go, you're disgusting, which is what I thought everyone in the world would say. I was like, oh, wait, do I have this a little wrong? But you can't ever get to that point when you keep it all into yourself. You, you got to find, There's you got to see the reaction. Shame spiral. I remember the first time that I told somebody about my food stuff. Mm. Ooh, what age was that? I was in college and the first reaction was, it's fine. Everybody does that, oh, right? Sure. Because it is this very socially acceptable, like everybody goes out for ice cream when they break up with their boyfriend, right? Right. It's just that I had four pints of ice cream yes. and would be passed out on my dorm room bed instead of sharing a pint with a bestie. And I had a hard time at first convincing this person that it was a real problem. But actually, thank God, because that's what made me reach out for extra help. I don't know if I ever would have gone into therapy and group therapy and rooms. If somebody in my life understood, I wouldn't have been forced to seek that extra community of like, right. I need to be talking to people who are in the I need to be seen boat. by someone who has yes. the same thing as yes. me. So what I loved about two things. One, we've never really had anyone walk us through that addiction. We had a gambling addict and it was fascinating because of course I know addiction in a lot of areas, but I didn't really know there's specificities about the gambling one. It's incredible, which is 
I just got to get even. I can quit if I get even. Oh, and I'm like, I never had an illusion waiting. that I could go oh, snore a kilo of Coke and it would undo the kilo of Coke. That's wow. on the table, right? Yeah, yeah, that you can yeah, undo yeah. all this. And then Ooh. the obsession to undo, I'm like, wow, that's dark. That and I'm really sympathetic to that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine that I think is different, and I heard this really early on, is that not to say that either one is harder or easier. I already agree with you, and I know what you're going to say. You do? <laughs> yes. I don't have to use cocaine moderately yeah. three times a day. That's right. I couldn't ever it's do that. taking the tiger out of the cage for a few times a day a and saying, like, it's table. okay, sweet kitty, <laughs> with a tiger out of the cage. Yeah. You have to be able to wrestle that. We live in a buffet, <laughs> similar to the alcoholism. Yeah. You're never more than 100 feet away from booze, and we live in a buffet. Yeah. And also the clear delineation of booze, which I think I'm completely powerless over. Although, no, that's not true because I do occasionally once or twice a year have a glass of wine or something because I'm somewhere. But I have to know that it's sugar and going into my system. That's the substance, right? It's not the alcohol. It's like the alteration of the intensity of the sugar in my system. Yes. Okay. So one thing I'd love, even though I don't understand the food addiction thing, although- I think it's a spectrum like every other thing, Yeah, and I think it's a little bit like weed also in that some of it is physical addiction. Like you can identify certain substances like sugar or gluten, and some of it is emotional addiction and not the substance itself. It's a tool to escape, and you got to figure out how to exist without the escape. And I have, by some measures, disordered eating a lot of times. I'm like crazy food restriction. So does the whole country. Exactly. (laughs) And I work out. I don't know. Do I work out healthy? But the part I loved was you binged. You slept and you worked out way too much and then you food restricted. But because you weren't purging. I did not have an eating disorder. Yes, this is so identical. If you don't drink beer, you're not an alcoholic, right? A friend of mine was, the definition of was an alcoholic was someone who drank by themselves. Of course, we find justifications everywhere. So you can be as fucked up as you want as long as you're not by yourself. I went four days without eating. I would be at the gym for six hours straight. But if I didn't stick my finger down my throat, or even if, This is my favorite. If I stuck my finger down my throat, but it's because I thought I ate something I was allergic to. (laughs) There we go. A little workaround. Therefore, I'm not (laughs) bulimic and I do not have an eating disorder. I'd love to be inside your head. You've eaten whatever you've eaten and you're sitting there and you're like, huh. I think that I think had macadamia. Oreos, yeah. Yeah, I, think that, I think those Oreos had a macadamia. Oreo had a stuck hint in there. of macadamia. <laughs> oh I'm pretty sure. Like, I feel like that chocolate cake had sesame. Because <laughs> the addict brain, once yeah. it wants to do oh something. Yeah, we'll find, find a way. We'll find a way. Yes. So is it mainly dessert, sweets? That are sort of a trigger. Yeah. I don't eat a ton of sugar now. So yes, if I eat sugar, I have to be very aware of that's going to send me on a spin. I'm going to be extra hungry. Now I'm lucky in some ways that I have to take the tiger out of the cage two or three times a day because it's a little bit of a litmus test for me now. Like sometimes I'll be at a meal and I'm like, I think I'm having a feeling Uh because the meal doesn't end. Like I've had enough food and I'm like, I feel like I need more and I don't need more. I just... I'm having a hard time transitioning out of the meal because I don't want to deal with the feelings. Right. That's such a great point. Your addiction is a symptom. Yes. And when you feel the symptom flare up, it's like, it's easy what to am get I not paying attention symptom, to? Yes. But it's like, no, no, my body wants to comfort itself. Why am I uncomfortable? That's right. That's the work yeah. now, right? Is I'm uncomfortable. I'm reaching for this behavior, whether it's it's time to leave the gym and pay attention to your children, or it's time to put the food down, you're done with the meal, whatever it is, that's the red flag of I have some emotional work to do. I imagine the definition of sobriety in a 12-step 
program for food is similarly complicated as it would be for SLA, which is you're not going to define sobriety by no sex. For some people, it'll be no prostitutes. For some people, it'll be no porn. Whatever it is. Is food the same? Like, yeah, and it evolves. It changes. It's different at different times. This could be healthy because there's yeah. some rigidity to it. I think it's great to have that clarity. But my relationship with what is healthy and unhealthy behavior requires a constant reset. I have to be constantly communicating with myself about it and really checking in with myself. Like, is that clean or not? Right. Without getting obsessive, not letting my whole life be about that. Because right. I feel like I am really lucky to have a much bigger life than I did when every single thought was about my thighs and what I'm eating. But I know when my thoughts are mostly filled with that, when I should be thinking about work and life and that I have to clean it up so that I can be focused on life. So I would imagine so if you, you enter on this journey, where you're going to get help for this. Yeah. Is there a better expectation of failure? Failure in AA is very, very significant. Oh, right, right, right. And it's demoralizing and it's shame inducing. I don't want to encourage people to relapse, but I just feel like it could be a little more supportive. I feel like you have done a lot to shift that for people to be more generous around the process that it's up and down. And by the way, I haven't re-clicked into the old notion. It's way more about today, which it should have maybe always been. But I also don't know what the future holds. I have great tools. And if I fuck up, I will get back. But yeah, it, the whole thing has changed. But I don't know. When I think of your program, I would imagine... Failure has to be a little more expected because, again, you're eating three times a day and you go to a wedding and there's a fucking seven tier cake. Yeah. For me, it's good because perfectionism is such a big part of my disease. Like, yeah, AA yeah. would fuck you up in a way because you can be perfect. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to do that with food, which for me can look a little more like anorexia. Yeah. And so I can't right. go in that direction. So I have to be willing to be imperfect in my journey with this, which and is has, super uncomfortable, but necessary. Is it the same premise as NAAA? I think SLA. You're never not gonna. Is that the prevailing thought? Is that once an addict, always an addict. You're never gonna oh, use moderately. That's different. There's so many different ways to be in recovery from this. Eating disorders look so different. So right. it, it's not as clean cut or simple. Which could be a blessing or a curse maybe. Yeah, You couldn't be encouraged to like make your own program, which <laughs> isn't truly working. But I guess you find out pretty quickly if it's yeah. not working. And for me, the big thing is clicking into the spiritual solution. All of this is really just about God and healing and love. The God-shaped hole in all yeah, of our bodies. Yeah, that's where the focus needs to primarily be. Okay, so now I want to bring up the second most exciting thing to you being an anthropology major. Yeah. To me, do you already know what I'm going to say? Mm-mm. Carrie... Left college <laughs> and she went to Kerala. I lived in for Kerala. Months. Wow. Are you from Kerala? My family. Yes. I didn't know that. Yes. I mean, there was a time when I could speak like conversational Malayalam. Really? Not anymore. That's my Not parents' anymore. language. But yeah. I love She was Kerala. dropping some shit about Kerala oh, in this book, Monica. Yes. And I was like, I can't wait. She knows her shit. That's awesome. I love Kerala. That's one of my dreams. I need to go back to Kerala with my family and take my kids on those backwater boats. Well, you know way more about it than I do. I've only have you been, been there once when I was four. Oh, so wow. I have like very little memory of it's it. It's so special. Oh my God. This is how I feel like when white people are like, I went Africa. to Africa on safari. <laughs> It's like, amazing. And I'm like, I had that experience, but I'm going to spare you of it. 
No, I like it. <laughs> I, I like did. I have been to Africa a few times, but it drives me a little crazy when white people are like, Africa's amazing. You know, I have said this out loud, not to any black folks, but I have said this out loud, which is as an anthro major, when I was there, I was like, oh yeah, humans come from here. Yeah, like, yeah. Fuck Without black a or doubt. white. Without I was just like, I was like, oh, it's in the this air. Is like the it's a fertile. Birth of people. Yes, yes. I could feel that the in birth the Birthplace of humanity. And again, I don't tell it to my black friends, yeah. but I <laughs> Well, you just I did. did. You just yeah. did. And I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I loved living in India. I loved Kerala. It was an extraordinary time in my life because God is everywhere yes. in India, right? Like when you grow up in the Bronx and there's a liquor store on every corner, <laughs> but then you go to India and there's a shrine, an altar on That's every true. corner. In every house. Every house, every-, every puja room. It's just so special. Oh, that's wonderful. What I like too is you got the kind of ultimate Eastern philosophy experience on accident, which is you went there to be a perfectionist. You went <laughs> yes, to learn a certain kind of theater that exists oh, you did. in South India naively, and you didn't learn shit. And that's exactly what you needed to learn. That's right. It really was a you know very karate kid, like, <laughs> yes, you know, off, paint the fence. Yeah. I went oh there to God. study Katakali theater, and I thought, in a couple months, I'm going to be on a stage covered in green, green paint yep. and be the shit. You know, I thought, this is it. And I was literally told to, like, sit and meditate. Yes. This is <laughs> your e I did. And I, you learned some self-defense yes. class. Yes. Tell Monica about this. Maybe you know. I didn't know I this did, whole thing. I so there's an ancient martial art called Kalari Payat, okay. which is like the beginning of all movement tradition. And it's very connected to yoga, but it's their ancient martial art. And so I was taught if you want to move like an ancient Indian actor, you must study these other movement arts. So you're going to sit in yoga, you're going to meditate, and you're going to study martial arts. That's all you're going to do when you're here. You're never going to put makeup on your face. You're never going to have a costume on. You're never going to... And I was like, but I want... They were like, no. And it was amazing. I really did. Wax on, wax off for months and months. And it changed me. You didn't need to learn to act better. You needed to learn to, to get in touch yeah. with your fucking body. And it was at a point in my relationship with my eating disorder recovery where I was really like, okay, it's time to be practicing these principles and really figuring out what prayer and meditation is for me. It was perfectly timed because God is amazing. I thrived there. It was did really special. Did you go with special. the program or you I just did. went? No, okay. no, no. I went with this program. It was a program out of the University of Wisconsin and it was six American students. It was like real world care. Yes, oh and my God. And we gosh. were all living in this house <laughs> and we each studied ancient art forms whether there's music or Bharatanatyam dance or wow. theater, not theater. And then in the afternoon, we studied Malayalam Wow. And on the weekends, we had these incredible guest speakers who were scientists or writers or chefs or people come to the house and talk to us. So it was like this oh, academic man. real world India. Amazing. I can't believe you were able to speak that. My mom can't even speak it. Like, <laughs> I mean, they, like, it's a conversational, hard... like, hello, goodbye. Where's the bathroom? Still. Are there cashew nuts in this? Because yeah. all my allergies, I'd be like, are there cashew nuts in this? <laughs> Which probably yes to Do me. you guys put a shellfish yeah. in your Twinkies? Yeah, exactly. Like they're doing back in the Because I need States. a reason to barf right now. Because <laughs> I've had a couple of bum Twinkies in the last few years where I, I had no choice of my own. I had to purge. But even the movement, right? Like there was no gym in Kerala. The, right. right. So, and you would have looked like a dumbass yeah, doing yeah, that the there. One, I probably yeah. would have been the one Western woman in the gym. And so I had to just surrender my body. I had to surrender the food, just give myself to these movement practices and be. It was magic. 
Also, not that I want to dwell on that part of it, but the conclusion was crazy, which is a younger boy that was delivering his papers oh or whatever. Yeah. He came up and grabbed her boob. In the street on my way to the colliery. Hey, I'm so proud of you because you told the host I that you did. were with. That right there is enormous progress yes, from, from that little girl. Yes. Who felt like she yeah. couldn't say anything. But when the boy was questioned. He said it was because of Baywatch. He thought that women on television from the States, they don't mind having their boobs looked at and touched Touch and, and yeah. admired. And I was like, wow, we have to do better. Although I love Pamela Anderson. I love oh, her. Oh, God, we love her. And love her journey she's been on. It made me realize the power of the images that yes. we put out there. Yeah, at first you're like, oh, this little shit did that. I'm like mad. And then I'm like, what the fuck does he know? He's like watching. It's like another planet. You're, you, right. you're from another planet. And on that planet, everyone fucks all the time and the yeah. women love it. Yeah, they love being half naked. Yes. Yeah. They love giving oral. I mean, all this <laughs> stuff. Uh, everything women love, they love. <laughs> yeah, women love it. <laughs> That's why all these Indian men are coming to the States. They're like, all these women. Oh, fuck yeah, your dad was probably. I uh, feel uh, like you can probably get uh, more diverse programming than in 98. <laughs> I doubt it. The shit that's working is probably still the same uh, shit. It's like euphoria, I'm sure. Oh, God. I oh, know. wow. But that Kerala thing was great, right? Yes, that's yeah, you have to thing, read thing, at thing. least that chapter. I will. My brother's never been he's eight years younger than me and so like the goal is for all of us to be able to go let's go yeah, i want to go really let's bad too go. Yeah. yeah carol a tourism board we avail ourselves <laughs> to a sponsored trip oh. that we can sing the praises yes. of your beautiful yes. that would be we want to go stay tuned for more armchair expert if you dare Okay, we can't talk about your work, but I got to talk about your work for one second. Okay. There's, there's one we'll thing I got to talk about. We'll work around. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. I hope no one goes and sees this movie. Don't go see this movie. Oh, no. Not allowed to go do see it. Do not go see it. Oh. <laughs> Whatever you do, I'm not promoting it. In fact, yeah. stay away at all costs. Yeah. Top 10 movies of all time for me. Django. No. No. I thought Although that's I, I would have thought you were going to say Django. I love Django. Save the Last Dance. <laughs> last yes. King of Scotland. Oh. Last King of Scotland. Yeah. Whoa. Speaking of black people in Africa, that was my first time on the continent. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. And you're going there to play one of Idi Amin's wives. Yes. And that's what I mean in terms of the anthropology connection. I got to go there and be African. Just right. like drop in and figure out what does it mean? What does it sound like? What does it look like? How yeah. do I wear my hair? How do I move? What's the lilt of the accent? I just ate it up. I loved it. I didn't have any of that weird, I'm an African-American in Africa. What does it mean? It was like, none of that matters. I got to be African. I'm here to be African. And I loved it. I loved everything about making that movie. And you get to do it with Forrest Whitaker. It's so beautiful. It's insane. But also was terrifying when we were there because he went in. He was like in full-on method actor mode. So I never saw my friend Forrest. Well, Idi Amin, right, was known around the world as Black Hitler, Ugandan Butcher. But Idi Amin called himself, he had a thousand names, right? You list them Your all in the book. Your high greatness. But my own personal funny thing, the reason I really love talking about that movie is they were going to make that movie Wanted with Angelina Jolie and James McAvoy. 
Yes. And then he became unavailable. They started seeing people. I got it. I met with Timor. I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna be in a movie with Angelina Jones, an action movie. They were calling about my quotes. Amazing. It was happening. Oh no. James McAvoy <laughs> became available again. Oh, no. And Shepard was out, right? Oh, and I was like, no. who's this fucking, I never even heard of this fucking, <laughs> for weeks, right? I'm this like, this fucking James McAvoy. And I don't even take the time to look him up on the internet. But anyways, I hate this guy. He's my mortal yeah, enemy. Yeah, yeah, you never even heard of him. Who's yeah. heard of this guy? He's a thief. <laughs> Run if you see him, because he's going to steal from you. <laughs> so I'm watching that movie and I'm like, this Wanting actor? Wanting to hate it? No, I he don't know it's him. Oh. I'm watching the movie. What year was the movie? I think I'm with Kristen. 2002, three? Mm, 2006. I, 2006, oh, okay, yeah. So I'm with Kristen. Filmed, you might have filmed it. Point is, <laughs> I'm watching this movie and I'm like, who's this guy, man? Whoa, is he something? This is like when I saw Ewan McGregor for the first time. Yeah. I'm like, I got to learn this guy's name. I got to see everything he's ever done. <laughs> the whole movie, I'm like, I can't wait to get to the credits. And then they roll on his James McAvoy. And I'm like, oh, they made the right no. decision. This guy's incredible. Oh, I'm so happy it released you from your resentment. Yes, I was That's like, he good. deserves this way more than me. He but was great. You know the black doctor in that movie is David Oyelowo. I did not. Yes. I would need Isn't to go crazy? back. The movie's so fucking good. There yeah. is such a texture to yes, it. Yes, authenticity. That's so vibrant and rich. Mm, oh, mm, and the music. Mm. And I stole the music for the movie I directed. I put two songs you from that did? movie in my movie. That's how much wow. I love it. Wow. You love James so much. You became a thief. <laughs> but I loved you <laughs> so <circle>. much. <laughs> I loved you so much. Oh, that pool scene. Oh. That was the first thing I had seen you oh, in. Wow. And I was like, who the fuck <laughs> is this? I guess you were so good. I maybe thought, oh, wow, this is a real African actress. A lot of people were like, this unknown Ugandan actress yes. from the Boogie Down How Bronx. How flattering, though. Yes. One of the best compliments I've ever gotten was Daniel Kaluuya came up to me at the Independent Spirit Awards and said, my family, when we saw that movie, we were so proud of you because you really sounded like one of us. Oh, really? Yeah. And my husband, actually, who's Nigerian, when he saw the movie, he was like, this girl's good, but she's a little off on the accent. And then he started researching Ugandan accent. And he was like, oh, it is different from Nigerian. And she's doing the different. Wow. Wait, your husband is from Nigeria? No, his no. parents were born in Nigeria. Okay, because he grew up in LA, right? He did. Did just a dash on him when I was researching. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You did a little side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did a little deep dive. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't know. a little I, rabbit hole. He's very handsome, isn't he? I don't he? know shit about football. <laughs> you don't? No. I don't know almost anything about football. I love that. I didn't either, really, when I met him. And now are you fully immersed? I know a lot more, but he doesn't really watch football anymore. He watches highlights now. I didn't watch comedies for years because right. I'm yeah. in comedy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, one really interesting thing in another parallel. I love that this whole interview is like ways that I'm like you. That's all they the interviews. Are. Yeah, yeah, everyone. I love it. Because yeah. everyone's like everyone, ultimately. It's true. I actually love that because one would think we don't have a lot in common. See, and other people would also say it's very egomaniacal and egocentric of you to constantly do that. But for me, that's why I went into anthro. I love that we are actually so similar and we live in a world where we're being told that it's us and them and it's a fucking joke. You're eating thing, my drugs thing. It's all the fucking yeah. same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kerala. Kerala. We're all the same. The secrets in the house, deception, all of it. Again, I related so much. I could always get sober for movies. Almost every movie I did, even before I was fully sober, I was sober for, if not the whole thing, up until the last week. And you notice, oh, wow, when I have to adhere to my character's diet and body relationship. So easy. 
That's so crazy. There's no out of control when it was about the character. You've done it so often. You actually play historical people. So it's like you're playing Ray Charles' wife. You have an idea of what she looked like. That's right. You go, oh, that's the body that I'm supposed to have. I think in some ways, it doesn't matter what the power greater than you is. It just has to be something that's more important than you. Yeah. My characters were that. My characters were something outside of me that mm. I could really devote myself to and not be the center of my universe that I'm obsessed about. I yeah. could devote myself to something bigger and more important. My characters had these stories that were worth telling. I felt like their lives meant something that I needed to pour myself into. When I was left back with myself, I didn't have that same love for myself and my own story. I didn't have a sense of meaning and clarity about who I was and that I mattered or was important, but the characters mattered. Those stories mattered. And in some ways, the control shifting, right? You, you have, have another place to put that. Right, to focus and to be devoted to Obsessive. perfectionism yes. and yeah. yes, getting them right. The getting myself right and perfect was just this insane spiral of crazy. And impossible, ultimately. Thank you for that reminder. And impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> Can't do it. Yeah. Tom Arnold said in his book, which I thought was just very honest and very relatable, which is he said, luckily I was addicted to one thing more than cocaine, and that was being famous and being an actor. Wow. So I think of what I've been able to do with my body that I could never do in real life, but anytime I got a job, I was like, you're playing an underwear model in this movie in four months. Get it I together. can do anything. Yes. And it's so weird. We he wouldn't be worthy of the commitment. But this other thing that I have to have, which is this acting career, yeah. I will chop off an arm for. I think in some ways that's also part of the journey of this time in my life when I was writing the book was also pandemic. And so there was no character to you be You were left with for. yourself, yeah. If I was going to be taking care of myself with food and exercise, it really, really, really had to be for me. It wasn't for a red carpet that was going to be in a month. It wasn't for a character. It wasn't for a magazine shoot, a commercial for a beauty brand. It really was like, just you. Yeah. It's just you. Are you going to care? And what does it look like when it's just you? What do you really want that behavior to look like and feel like when it's not about your responsibility to any other calling. It's a really common pattern. Mm -hmm. If you look at problemed actors, yes. they have their problems between movies when yes. they're left with themselves, right? So just employ us, people. <laughs> just keep us employed. Mike Tyson got in trouble when he wasn't in training camp. That's right. When you don't have that thing to be devoted to, which is also, you know, I think a lot about faith. One of the things that was so powerful for me in India was that you would walk into an ashram and it wouldn't be one figure. There wasn't one Christ figure. By the way, you would see Jesus there along with Mary, along oh. with Ganesh, along with Buddha, along with Krishna. But there was an idea of like you could choose a story, a devotional practice. You could choose a God to devote yourself to that felt right for you. And that could have many paths. It was just about pouring yourself into that devotion to say, I love this and I'm going to reach for the best version of me because of this. And I think the characters can be that. I feel like these characters I've played through my life, they saved me. I was leapfrogging from sanity to sanity because I could pour myself into some story. Even though I didn't know what my story was, I could live their story. Well, you start the book by saying, in the last episode of you playing Olivia Pope, your character is asked by Bellamy, who, by the way, I've worked with before and I adore. I love her. Yeah, she's so she's fun. She's so amazing. And such a cute face. It's yes, so like round so, features that are so she's inviting. She's beautiful. Yeah, she's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. a beautiful, shining human. She says to your character, what are you going to do now? And you say, whatever I want. And in real life, 
You two are at the same moment. The art imitating life and the life imitating yeah, art. It's, it's crazy. All... Was it exciting for you or it is was. it scary? It was exciting and scary. You know, as we tell our kids, it's the same emotion. It's the same physiological thing, excitement and fear. Getting this news from my parents, it was the end of Scandal that they told me. It was oh. like a month after we finished filming. And it did make me feel, oh... I am embarking on a new adventure. And one where I'm whole, you know, compensating for this mystery. Yes. Yeah. I think up until that point, I was always looking for myself in every character and like looking to figure out more about myself in every character. And when I got this information, something shifted where I started to more freely express myself through the characters. Uh-huh. Not looking for them to fix me, but allowing them to let me be more fully myself in the uh-huh. world. When I watch Little Fires, that's what I see. I see somebody who's fully expressing with more freedom and more authority. I don't know about you, but for me, that's also a sign of confidence, which is at the beginning of my career, it's like I didn't have any faith that I'm interesting enough to be on screen. My first characters are like Frito and Idiocracy. These are like huge yeah, swings because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I'm enough. Right. And the 100%. more and more I feel like I'm enough, I go like, well, actually, now I'm more interested than ever that play me. Yes. And me to, like, in this situation. Yeah. Well, yeah. now you're here. 3,000% yeah, you. You're so right. Do you like this more than acting? I do, because if you really distill down what my goal was, I would say, especially as a director, which is I have a point of view in life. I think trauma is interesting and funny, and I like to play in that space. Yeah. And the movies I've made were that. I mean, one guy's got a sex addiction, the other guy's got a pill addiction. You don't really believe in good and bad. I don't believe in, in good and terms. bad. But you have two hours. And it has to also adhere to story, the laws of Socrates and poetics. Right. So that is a filter between your point of view and the audience. And so doing this, all of a sudden I was like, wait, no, no, this is directly my point of view. There's mm. nothing between. And so in that way, the gratification of actually sharing my point of view yeah. is hugely rewarding. Do I miss the butterflies of starting a new job uh, and there's a new uh-huh, sad uh-huh. and then you meet the people? Yeah. But Adam Grant said it best. He's like, you think this is a different thing, but what did you like most about acting? And I said, hanging out at Video Village with other actors, yeah. shooting the shit. And he's yeah. like, so basically your this full-time is job it. now is Video Village. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. I also think in your work, and maybe because I know stuff later in your career more than earlier, I feel like you're always reaching for this. You're reaching for those moments on camera that feel truly authentic yeah. and very human. It became that. Yeah. And by the way, it used to be like, well, if I nail this accent and I get this joke, that felt very, very good. But those moments Joy and I would have or it's just like- So good. We just Yeah, we just revealed ourselves. Yeah, like yeah. we just intertwined our souls and yes. there was a camera running and yes. it worked. Yes, yes, and, and yes. we found something no one knew was there. Yes, we didn't know we're there. Yes, kid, so oh, great. Tyree, oh, Tyree, so my beautiful gosh, and wonderful. Yeah. I love that about your work on that show is that feeling like we were in a room we weren't supposed to be in, witnessing like right. real human beings sharing their hearts with each other. And again, I just all praise to Kadams. You're on a set like that or you're not, or they're telling you, go ahead and find whatever you think yeah. is there. Take your time. We'll go into grace. Yes. Let's find it. That just got me so I yeah. want to be on set. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Being on As set. I'm telling you it now, oh. I really want to go oh. back to that oh. set and just. And are yeah. you going to do more directing, do you think? I don't think so because of the time commitment in eight 
and 10-year-old kids. Yeah. And this has become now very full-time. But again, I'm not arrogant enough to think I know what I'm going to want next Tuesday. So I don't fucking know. There was a moment where I was like, I'm done. I'm getting my sleeves I've always wanted and I'm done acting. And I felt liberated by that. You know how it is. You're like, yeah. please pick me. And to finally go like, mm, I don't want you to pick me. Feels very well, to healing. Well, have your own party. I always feel like being an actor sometimes feels like you're just desperately wanting somebody to invite you to a party. Literally and figuratively. You're like, <laughs> am I going to get to go to Vanity Fair? Yeah. Yeah. But also just the party of set. Like, I just want somebody to invite me. And then you start having your own parties. Yeah. It's so much more fun. Well, I love Thicker Than Water. It's so well written. You're an incredible writer. Thank and you. you read the audiobook, I which is do. incredible. I guess you have to if you're an actor, I right? I guess so, yeah. But it was weird <laughs> to like live picked? my life in a week. Maybe Joy. Ah, I feel like Joy Bryant would have wow. really, because she's a Bronx girl and She'll love she's that. got a fancy got education. That. So she'd probably deliver closest. Oh, Joy, Joy, Joy. I love her. Thicker Than Water is the book. It's out September 26th. And it's phenomenal. And I hope everyone checks it out. And again, if you're a book on tape person, you're going to be delighted because Carrie reads it. And of course, as we know about Carrie, she's immensely talented. I know we barely <laughs> even said it. I know you know. And why are we even saying it? But you're so good. You're a beast. Oh, you're very you're a fucking kind. You are beast. so good in yeah, absolutely yeah. everything no, you're you are in. It's unbelievable. Sweet. Oh, thank you. To be the last king of Scotland, which no one should see. To scandal, no one should see. All the movies, all the shows. Don't ever yeah. see anything again. Don't ever see anything <sighs> Unless it's again. Dragons and then go see all this ben shit. See it all at once. <laughs> Watch all of Parenthood as soon as the strike ends. Well, Carrie, I've been begging you for five years. This certainly lived up to my dream yeah. and fantasy. I'm so honored that you guys are still around so that by the time I could be a more integrated, courageous human <laughs> being, I could come on the show this well, was when lovely. I was done hiding. And you're going to write another one. Oh, now God, I know don't gonna, wish that yeah, on me. Yeah, you're going to. You're going to. I adore you, Carrie. Thank Everyone you. get thicker than water, and we will see you again soon, I hope. Stay tuned for the fact check so you can hear all the facts that were wrong. So I could wear my tan suit. I'm down to very few suits okay. that I fit into. Oh, because you're a big boy now. My legs are too thick for most of them. Um, and my neck and most of my white shirts no longer buttons. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so good news, bad news. It feels like it's good news. It mm -hmm. feels like it's what you wanted. Mm -hmm. Only bad news in that I don't have many outfits to choose from. And you know, I only have suits. I've never bought a suit and had it tailored. Yeah. I've only done it to go to the Met Gala that one time. Jealous. I recycled that suit. And then suits from the game show that I hung on to. Yep. So I don't have any experience going and doing that. So I'm just hanging on to whatever I have. Well, David Fair, our friend David Farrier yes, is, our mutual friend. <laughs> is in this pickle as well. Oh, he is. He recently said, I need to get a suit. The suits I have look so stupid. They don't really fit when he goes somewhere and he yeah. has to wear one. He feels embarrassed. So he he's on you a know, suit mission too. What's a bummer is I bet I've gotten rid of a bunch of suits that probably would have fit him. Oh. Because we're roughly the same frame. Right, except now you're a big boy. I don't know. You know, I have a very small waist, a shockingly small waist. Yeah. Yeah, dainty. <laughs> Do you think that's like a fun hidden treasure? No, I don't love it. Why? Uh, well, like whatever Charlie's waist is, is great. But I guarantee it's a few inches wider than mine. Not through any chub. No, um, it's just anatomy. Yeah, it's just like his ilium and ischium are wider and bigger, I think. Oh my God. But I don't love that. I, I'll tell you the things that I don't. So let's let's start with what I'm grateful for. Okay, I like that. I have very broad shoulders. Well, thank you, Dave Sr. 
uh-huh, my dad. He had uh-huh. very wide shoulders. So uh, my wrists are dainty. Okay. And I would argue disproportionate with the rest of the frame. Okay. Okay. <laughs> do you the mean legs like, are too do you skinny. Mean skinny? Oh yeah, like this. I can put my fingers around, right? Okay. And I doubt I could do that over Charlie's. And there's not, it's not like there's muscle there. That's just bone right. structure. Yeah. Mine's pretty. Like anytime I get a watch, I usually have to size it down. Yeah. That's in, that's emasculating. No. Okay. And then that- I have tiny legs. Like my brother's legs are much sturdier than mine. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Smaller kneecaps than him too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is. This these, is, these are all complaints. Well, this is kind of a ding, ding, ding. No way. Yep. How could it be? It is because we do talk a lot about body issues on this. This is for Carrie. Oh, Washington. Yes. Oh, I loved this episode. I did too. So fun. Love her. Love that she was so open with us about a lot of things. Yeah. But body issues. We all have them. We, we definitely all have them. Rob, do you have any? Yeah. You my, do? I mean, my weight fluctuates a lot. Okay. And you, you don't love it when it's, I guess I'm guessing, heavier? Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like it's hard for you to stay thin? Um, the last like year I've been on a regimen that it's mostly just exercise. Right. And eating. Yeah. The two That's variables everything. that really, yeah. yeah. Um, you? Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone. I feel like you're, though, if I had to, if, if someone asked me, like, what's Monica insecure about her face or her body? I would say she, I think she's good with her body. I'm more insecure about my face. Yeah. Right. That's for sure. Yeah, which is stupid. I'm bad. This is your opinion, not no, mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are, yeah, we all have our own negative Like, self-talk. you wouldn't want to be taller. Um, I wouldn't mind it. Oh, to see over things, reach things. It's, you know, for me, the body stuff, I am pretty happy with my body for the most part. Yeah. But things do come up often when I'm wearing clothes. It's about the way I can wear clothes. Right. That makes sense. I'm happy with my naked body. There you go. I am. That's what you want. Well, it is and it isn't because in this world, we wear clothes a lot. You should (laughs) reverse that. I could try. I I could try. And I love clothes so much. Yes. And shopping so much that sometimes something looks so cute on the hanger. Well. And would look great on someone with like maybe a smaller breast size. Okay, so I'm thinking a lot about this. I started the supermodel stock. What's interesting and what I actually believe, like a lot of times you'll, you'll see an actor on a talk show and- he or she is so hot. And then they'll act like they were the ugly duckling in high school. And it's really hard to believe. There's yeah. even a great- um, Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer sketch about the whole thing. But I do believe these supermodels because being really tall in high school is is hard for gals. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like now, but I can just, in 93, it was a challenge. You didn't really want to be taller than the boys. Right. So then I was kind of thinking, wow, why is it that models are so tall? And then I realized like, Oh, because the the bigger the canvas, the better the outfits will look. Like, you don't want to scrunch mm-hmm. the outfit into a really small space. Right. You can't do as much. Their clothes look better on a much taller canvas. Yeah. I hadn't thought any of this through. I know. That's what I'm saying. So, I have a short Tor- frame. Torso? I have a short torso and legs because I'm short. Yeah. But I'm really sure. And I have big boobs. So I'm working with a lot of factors that cause clothes to sometimes not look on you as you as I as wish. They, as they look on the hanger and/or the five foot twelve model. Yeah, because on the hanger, 
and Angar. often in not always, not if it's a Victoria's Secret model, mm. but often models don't have big boobs. Correct. Cindy Crawford, she was in Playboy. This is a very interesting mm. part of the documentary. Okay. Is she got offered to do Playboy and she was like the her whole team was like, no. Yeah. And she was like, mm, I think I do. I think I want to. And the photographer that was going to be doing it was like her favorite photographer who she had this great relationship with. And she decided, no, I do want to do this. And it was pretty breakthrough for her. And yeah. it's really, uh, I don't know, it's kind of cool. And yeah. to hear her talk about it and how kind of, I don't want to say calculated, but but just on top of it she was. Yeah. Yeah, she did a bunch of cool things. Like she recognized like MTV is going out to the world and it's bringing high fashion to small rural towns uh -huh. now because there's cable. Right. And so she knew, like she recognized that and then she did her style show on on MTV. Yeah. And the George Michael video was like a huge, I didn't realize what a moment that was for them. That's yeah. when they became like- Superstars. Superstars. Supermodels. Supermodels. Superstars, <laughs> supermodels. It's interesting. I like all the women in it. That yeah. are detailed. Are they They're all very participating? Yeah, okay, and they were all cool. great friends, which I love. I, know, I didn't I like that. really know that. Yeah, you would assume. I would assume that there would be like some kind of rivalry between all of them because there's only one person's on the cover of Vogue each well, month. Well, one time they uh, there's a iconic yeah. cover with all of them. Yep, but that came after their superstardom. Yeah, they just redid it. They did. Mm -hmm. ah, like, is this the one where they're naked? No, they're not naked. I think they're in like jeans in they the a, first one. Okay. They did several. Yeah. One of them was nude. You don't see anything, but they're right. all they're all kind of in a, in a puppy pile. Yeah, I know that one. And the hear them talk about it's really cool. They're like, the reason we like it is there's like there's no sexuality in our eyes or in and we're not being urged to do that. It's it's like much more about a sisterhood. Huh. I like it. I'm gonna watch it. That's yeah. I didn't know about it and I'm excited. Yeah, you'll like it. And then there's so much fashion. Ugh. These designers are all so interesting oh. as well. Because you're like, there's footage, right, of all these different designers, talking to them, dealing with them. Yeah. And there's not like a normal, there are quote, normal one among them. Yeah, Artists would, are not normal. A lot of these people they interview, like if you bump it in the grocery store, you'd be like, well, this person has to be in fashion. Well, yeah. Like Carl. Lagerfeld, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's the most iconic I think artists at that level, I mean, Karl Lagerfeld is like the Picasso of fashion. Is he? Yes. I didn't even know. I knew him, but I didn't know he was the head Gucci designer. Chanel. Chanel. Yep. And he he, he worked for uh, many different houses, but Chanel is was the big one. Where he really made a mark. Yes. And ding, ding, ding. We talked about the Met. Well, oh my God, two ding, ding, dings. We talked about the Met. Gala. gala today yeah and when it happened uh -huh. i was talking a lot about it and remember the theme this past year was carl lagerfeld oh it was mm -hmm. lagerfeld yeah and you you didn't understand then no, i just know, know him i guess yeah. but i didn't realize he was like the in-house designer yeah versace seemed kind of normal is that no maybe i'm getting confused i don't know valentino they're all eccentric yeah extremely um, There's a beautiful story about the designer. I wish I could remember his name, a French designer who who really took Naomi Campbell in, like ooh. met her on a shoot, knew she was 16, living in France by herself. Saint Laurent? It wasn't Saint Laurent. <laughs> Yves Saint Laurent. He was in there. He was very peculiar. Like he's got a really interesting personality. Yeah. Who? 
that was that was mentioned in 88. He moved her, called her mom and said, I'm going to take care of your daughter. Moved her into the house. She yeah. had a bedroom. He cooked her breakfast. He cooked her mm. lunch and dinner. She would sneak out. She'd get in trouble. He'd find her at nightclubs and she'd be wearing all of his clothes. <laughs> and he'd be yelling at her, but then also going, you're wearing the belt wrong. And he would <laughs> he would adjust the belt and do all this stuff. Is oh, my God. Azadine? Yes. I don't even know how to say his last name. A-L-A-I-A. Oh, Aliyah. Yeah. Oh. I love Aliyah. You do? Yeah. He's passed, right? I think she Probably. sat in there. She was heartbroken when oh. he died. But he died older, I think. Alaya is a great brand. Um, in Clueless, there's a there's a famous line in Clueless where she's getting mugged. Uh-huh. And he's telling her, get down on the ground. Uh-huh. She says, this is an Alaya. Uh-huh. Well, Naomi Campbell was saying, can you imagine being a 16-year-old in your closet as Alaya? I know, that's, so, I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, like everything he made was in the house oh, for her to pick God. out to go clubbing. You know, night. my, you probably don't remember or know, but uh, my pink bathing suit, I have a pink bathing suit. Okay. Um, it has cutouts like kind of around the neck and a little on the breast. Oh, um, that, that sounds racy. <laughs> and, and it's a liar. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. So the the name lives on, even though he's yeah. They have new. They'll have new heads of the house, and they're atelier. Yes, <laughs> those are real ateliers. Yeah, yeah, those are not, they're not subway. subways. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, no shade I to subway. Can't wait to watch this. I've been waiting for a new fashion documentary. I just keep watching the September issue over and over and over again. Uh, well, you'll dig it. There's. There's no interviews with her, but there's tons of footage. Not tons. There is footage of Anna and tour. Yeah. I want her to come on so mad. I know you do. When they were showing clips of her, I was thinking like, how could I deliver on that episode? Like what that should be if of she ever did it. Of course you would. Like, like we do any show. We'll talk but about. Let's just say I left you to interview Valentino Rossi, the greatest motorcycle mm-hmm. rider of all time. I could do it. You could research him. Yeah. And you could learn the accolades. Yeah. But you would not be able to understand why Valentino Rossi's a god. Like, I can't really understand how But Anna I'm here, tour. and no. I can understand yes, that. Yes, you would have to do the interview, basically. No, yes, no. Yes, yes, I yes. can just provide <laughs> that sense. Uh, what I'm saying is I was recognizing it would be a disservice to her to have me interview her because clearly something magical is happening mm-hmm. and I can't see in the same way you can't see Valentino but Rossi is from another planet. I actually think those often can be the best interviews because there's no idol worship. Your chef, Allison Roman. I, yeah, like if I interview Allison, it could go off the rails. Yeah, it could be a. So I'm like, remember in that one video, and then <laughs> no one knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? And so it's it's nice to have sort of a a bird's eye view. Uh-huh. Well, I, it worked out great with Allison. I was having similar fears, like I don't know how I'm gonna right. shine the light on her that she deserves this not being my world at yes. all. Yes, and then you loved her. I loved her. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Shout out, congratulations, Allison. She just got married. We already did that. We did? <laughs> yes, we've already congratulated her. <laughs> but let's do it again. Wait, I don't remember that. Congratulations, Allison. Are you sure? Yeah. It was right when she posted the photos. Uh, I mean, two we weeks talked ago. about it out there, I remember, but I don't remember us talking about it in here. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought we did. Okay. I don't remember it. But um, I didn't want it to sound insincere because we already did it. That's what I'm saying. Oh. But I could be wrong. Maybe we did if I made one of her meals. 
maybe that could have happened. Yeah. But I'm still really happy for her. Me too. Me too. So this is a ding, ding, ding. Okay, okay. also I've decided something. I was going to wait till I actually did it before we talked about it on here, but I won't. I'll tell you now. Okay. I am going to fix the shelf in my armoire. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Good, good, good. You should. I know. I feel, well, I feel conflicted. Okay, tell me. I felt like you were disappointed in me, so I was like, I should do it. But then I felt, well, I shouldn't do it because Dax is disappointed in me because that's kind of stupid if he's disappointed in me. Right. I felt like I had a weird cycle. This is, um, (laughs) sure. This, though, is just a classic textbook example of what the person's saying and what the person's hearing can be so dramatically different. Mm -hmm. So what I would have thought you would have walked away with is, Dax believes in me so much and thinks I can do things I don't know that I can do. Mm. Like, that's literally what the thrust of all that was. It's like, you don't need to throw this thing out. You absolutely can fix this. I believe you can. That's what I was saying. Yeah, but you also said. What did I say? (laughs) You said, do you think you have all the skills you're ever going to have? That's me going, you're capable of more than you think. I know, but I heard that as like, you feel like I don't push myself. Oh. Or that I'm lazy or something. Yeah, right. So those are like almost the same thing, but so different in my mind, which is you underestimate yourself, which to me is so positive to tell you. And you hear you're lazy. Right, but I I guess I fear Uh that you think that. To me, that's the worst possible thing you could Characteristic you could have. But I, I also, I really, I know I'm not. Yeah, nor do I think you are. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. Do you think I would partner up with someone I think is lazy? Well, I don't, but I, I, I don't know. I, I have this weird inclination to prove to you that I'm not, or that like, yeah, because I'm your dad, because I'm your father. Yeah, but you're also my employer. Well, right, yeah. And that's a piece (laughs) that feels there's this one pull that's like, I I should CC him on absolutely everything so that Uh, he knows. uh Uh-huh, how busy you are. Or no, not, it's not how busy, it's how, how, what I'm doing. Yeah. But then I have this other part that comes into play and says, no. You do know what you're doing. You, you do know Monica. Monica knows that Monica's that Monica <laughs> is on it. Yes, and yeah. and what I'm contributing and doing. So that should be enough. I have a weird push and pull there. Yeah. Well, look, I don't want to gaslight you. Mm-hmm. There have been moments that I thought you were being lazy on a thing. That does not mean I think you are lazy. Right. There's a big distinction there. I think over the course of six years, there have been a couple times where I've thought you should do that. Right. For sure. I don't want to deny that those things have happened. Yeah. But my, if someone asked me <laughs> what's Monica like to work with, I could list probably a thousand things and lazy wouldn't come up. Yeah. Like, how about this? Have I been a dick in the last six years? Of course. I don't even know how many times. Maybe 30. Mm-hmm. Does that mean you think I'm a dick? I don't think so. No, but it's not like, have I been late? Yes, I've been late. Those are hard markers, right? Uh-huh. The lazy pieces is hard because even in moments where I I feel like you've felt that, uh-huh. 
I feel like, well, it's because of this other stuff that is not known, which is why this other thing is lacking. But it's not because of laziness. It's because there's other pieces that are requiring th this of me. Uh -huh. And so I just can't give it there. And it's not a, it's not because I don't want to, uh -huh. or I don't, it, I, I don't know. To me, it's just interesting to have like a push and pull. And then this is just reminding me of the armoire, which I know that I don't actually care about being someone who builds that. Yeah. But I there's still a huge part of me that wants to like impress you or prove that I did it so that you- Will get off your back? <laughs> no, that you'll just like, I don't know why actually. Yeah, I- I, I see that you feel that way, but for me, it's crazy because all I want for you is for you, not me. I have an idea of your sense of accomplishment having fixed your armoire. I've experienced that in my own life and that it gives me enormous self-esteem. And so I can see that happening to you and I want that for you. Yeah. But it has nothing to do with whether I think you should be fixing your armoire or that it's some kind of character defect that you don't. Right. It's just... I think you can do it. You said, I look at things, and I'm like, there's no way I can do that. Right, I do think that. Yeah, I'm saying, I think you could. Mm -hmm. I believe that you could. And I maybe rightly or wrongly assume you'll have a great sense of accomplishment when you've resurrected this armoire. Yeah. But maybe you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't I don't care. know. I guess I won't know until I try it. Well, I don't want you to do it because you think my opinion of you is gonna change because it's not. Yeah, I don't know. There was no judgment over you not fixing it. It was just me trying to encourage you that you could and that you might like how it feels. Yeah, and I might. I might try it. Still, well, on the fence. We're back to being on the fence. You, were, you Your first date was, I am going to fix I it. I know. And now you're back on the fence. Well, because, again, it's like, why am I doing it? Right. And I do want to do that for, I don't want to do it and then feel like, well, I did it. I hope everyone's happy now right. that I, I did it. I wouldn't want that either. Right. This is not for me. I, I don't care if your armoire is fixed. I don't have to deal with it. It has no impact on my life whether your armoire is unsalvageable or fixed. I know. TBD. TBD. I'll, I'll report back. If you choose to do it, I can cut the piece of wood for you that you would need to screw under the shelf. No, because that's like the whole thing. What's the whole thing? That's the whole project. <laughs> cutting the wood? I feel like cutting the wood and painting it. Well, look, you've not cut, you don't, A, you don't own a table saw. I don't. And I think it'd be crazy to go buy a table saw so you could do this project. I know. Which means you need my table saw, which means I need to show you how to use the table saw, which means I'm going to cut the piece of wood for you. Okay. Mm, <laughs> or if I go to Home Depot, will they do it? They won't. Oh, they won't. No. Yeah, so how's anyone supposed to fix anything if they well, don't have, have the tools. tools? Right. Okay. You can rent the tools from Home Depot. You could, yeah. That's okay. an option. Could I use like I, a really sharp butcher's knife? Scissors. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't use a knife to cut wood. <laughs> you could use a I would saw. But what you need to do is you need to take a two by four and you need to turn it into two different slats that are probably going to be like a half inch wide. Mm. 
maybe okay. three quarters inch wide, maybe an inch wide, whatever. You're gonna need a table saw to get that okay. little rail that we're gonna bolt in there. Okay. I'm gonna see what okay. I Okay. We'll earmark it. All right. Well, this is sort of a ting ting ting. <laughs> <laughs> it was when you were talking about fashion. Okay. Okay. Because uh, Carrie had a pr cool purse, a really nice purse. And I asked who made it. Yeah. And she said it was a black designer. And it is Telfar. Better spell that for us. T-E-L-F-A-R. Sure, Telfar. And apparently they're huge in New York. Okay. And um, that bag comes in every color. Oh, did you, have you ordered one yet? Not yet, but I will. Okay. Established. Kind of shocked you haven't. I know. Because I imagine once you looked it up. Well, I and then just, you went to, uh, just found out when I did my facts. Okay. So they're all sold out. Oh, well, that's God. good. Okay, I have a question for you. It's oh. a fact. You said the proverbial goat and balls. I said the proverbial goat and balls? Yeah, I think you said. Oh, oh, yeah, the what proverbial goat balls. Okay, what does it mean? There's all these stories about people visiting an indigenous hut, and then it turns out when they're serving the goat, they also eat the balls. This has like been in many movies. Okay. It's, been, it's, 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 it's a maybe apocryphal. Some cultures eat the balls uh -huh. from the goat. Okay. And as a visitor, when offered it, it's like that's what they save for the chief or whatever. It's like uh, high status food, and I then they see. offer it to you. And as a guest, you kind of have to eat it. It's like a de it's a delicacy. But I said proverbial because I can't really substantiate. But that's a very common lore. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Balls. You've heard of that, right, Rob? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, also, bull balls. Bull, bull, bull balls. Bull balls. Bull balls. Okay. Bull, bull balls. <laughs> kind of sounds like boba. It does. Bull balls. Bull, bull. bull balls boba. <laughs> oh, boy. Ooh. Bull balls flavored yeah, we got boba. big old straw for that. Wow. Four-inch straw. Okay. Have we had any other anthropologists besides Jason Delion? Uh, Jared Diamond is an anthropologist, right? I actually don't think he is. Really? Weirdly, yeah, I thought for sure he was. Didn't he teach anthropology? Well, and you read it in anthropology. He's a geographer, a historian, ornithologist, and author. Yeah. Oh. Isn't that wild? Wow. Yeah, I had the whole, because again, I read it in anthro. I thought he was yeah. an anthropologist. He's not in the anthro department at UCLA. Oh, see, yeah, because I thought the whole thing was like, you just missed him. But no, you missed him in a different I'm mad capacity. I didn't go take one of them. Because I took geography classes. Oh, right. yeah, he's a professor of geography at University of California. Yeah, dang. What? Just because I thought. He was he an was. anthropologist. Well, we had Jane Goodall on. Yeah. She was a. And we had a primatologist on, it was an expert a, a while ago, it was over Zoom. She was really cool though, remember? And she invited us. You guys Tara talked to- Tara Stonsky. Thank you, Tara Yeah, she's Stonsky. a primatology, yeah. yeah. She was so fun. She was. You guys got along well, obviously. Mm -hmm. Okay. Definitely Actors. only actor I think I've talked to with an anthro degree. I think so, but there's. I also have like a slight memory. I do too. I do too. There's been a lot of people. A lot of slight memories now. <laughs> Famous people who majored in anthropology. Oh, Dak Shepard. Oh, I better Number be at the top one. of that list for how much I talk about it. Kurt Vonnegut, uh, Glenn Close. 
Oh. That's cool. Never had that her. Makes sense. It does. Yeah. Oh. Because she's like primal. Gail Simmons from Top Chef. We have not had on. Mm-mm. Is anyone from We've Had On? No, I don't, I don't <laughs> recognize most of these names. I really have this sense that there was one other person that like you guys geeked out. But maybe not because we might remember geeking out. We would out. have geeked out. Yeah, yeah. we would have remembered geeking out. I mean, out. Carrie's not even on this list, so. Mm, she was keeping it under her lid until now. She'll be at the top of that list come Tuesday. Oh, and and one person I do know, one thing I do know. Oh, we said that we had a gambling addict on. That's Roy Choi. If anyone wants to listen to that episode, if you missed it, it's one of my top three favorite episodes we've ever done. It's really great. Yeah, it's Roy Choi. such a good episode. And him talking about that specific addiction is uh-huh. such a good window into what that is like. Yes. So check out Roy also Choi. Also the Dotsievsky book called, Crime I think, Punish? Gambler. Oh. It's a very small one. In fact, that was my entry point into him he was too intimidating for me but this book is very small about gambling Mm. and he does the same thing in that book that he does in crime and punishment which is like you're in the mind of the gambling addict it's really interesting okay now and he really was a gambling addict uh yeah lost many a fortune yikes paul robeson who she mentioned she said we should look him up he was a bass baritone concert artist, stage and film actor, professional football player, and activist Whoa. who became famous both for his cultural accomplishments and his political stances. We brought this up because her husband right, is, is a football a player. cosmopolitan mm-hmm. man. Jim Brown, that's, we're recommending stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a great book. Uh, there's a series of books called Conversations With, I believe. There's a great book on Jim Brown in that series. There's also a great one on Marlon Brando in that series. But the Jim Brown one, someone went to do a story for like Esquire or Vanity Fair on him. Okay. In fact, he's a film director. I'm forgetting his name right now. But he, he ended up living with him. Like it started as an interview for this magazine and then it turned into him living with him for a mm. while. So then he had a book's worth of stuff. Wow. Yeah, and it's so fascinating. Very admirable man, Jim Brown. Well, that is all. Well, boy, do I love Kerry Washington. Me too. It Mm. was so flattering that she listens to the show or has listened. Yeah. Hard to believe, but we're going to go with it. She knew stuff, so she she obviously did. Maybe she has an assistant that did coverage on it. No. You don't cover it. For people who aren't in the film business, agents, assistants often read scripts, and then they- make a little synopsis of it. Mm-hmm. It's called coverage. Mm-hmm. So maybe someone had to plow through a couple hundred episodes and then do coverage. I had a stint doing coverage. You did? Mm-hmm. For a literary agency. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you hate it? That seems laborious. I thought I was going to love it, of course. Yeah. But then, but then you then realize most of the stuff you read is not good. So bad. Yeah. So bad. Yeah, the vast, vast majority of writing is not good. Hence that wonderful saying I always say, which I love, which is everyone can act, some people can direct, and no one can write. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Happy writer strike is over. Oh, yes. We're, we're hopefully inching towards the whole thing being over, but very proud of all these writers have been striking for since, like, March. 160 days or something, 159. It's so crazy. They've taken a beating. So mm-hmm. happy for them. Me too. Me too. I need my content. Yeah, we need our And content. I need to be able to talk about things. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. We love to talk about that. So handcuffed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Love okay, you. Okay, love you.